Ash Olaf. Hi guys, welcome back to the symposium. I'm delighted again to be starting a brand new series, um, as I've been doing quite a lot recently. Um, today it's the new cricket series. Um, it's an opportune time to do the series as um, England have just finished their test series against the West Indies. Cricket is starting to, res to resume after lockdown and there's a lot to talk about. Um, and yeah, we're all, we're all quite avid cricket fans here. So yeah, we hope you enjoy this series. Um, I'm happy again to be joined by Arjun and Lawrence, uh, both of whom you know already from the football series and Arjun also from music and, and the film series. Um, and yeah, also by Advaith, who's um, here is for the first time, uh, first time on the cricket series. Advaith, how are you? I'm great. How are you? No, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Um, so I guess we'll just go out by kind of introduction. So Advaith, who do you support in cricket? How do you get into the game? Um, what are some of your fondest memories and matches that you've watched? Um, so I probably got into the game when I was about seven or eight and I used to live in India. So that's kind of like a natural place where you, you know, tend to pick up cricket. Um, used to play a lot of backyard cricket with like a lot of the kids in my uh, colony. Um, and then just kind of started supporting India obviously because that's kind of where I grew up and stuff and I've kind of just kept supporting that team even though I've kind of moved around over time um yeah uh I would say my fondest memory in terms of like a good game that I really enjoyed watching it's probably that India England test match um at Lords in 2014 when Ishan Sharma ran through the whole England team just all in the worst bounces in the world but somehow he managed to uh yeah get an entire team all out hmm no, fair enough. Yeah, I remember that game. It was um, England-India Test Series. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Bob Willis termed termed the England lineup a load of happy hookers. So, I mean, that was that was quite amusing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember that exact match, actually. Um, yeah, Arjun, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm decent, thanks, yeah. Um, so, yeah, how did you get into the game? Um, who do you support? Um, what are some of your fondest memories? Because I know that you and I have actually been to the same game unknowingly. Yeah, we, 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 we went to the 2009 T20 World Cup game. Um, what game was it again? West, West Indies against, against Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah, Chris Gale scored a massive 88, which was yeah, brilliant to watch. Mad. Um, I kind of got forced into cricket when I was about seven or eight. I joined my local cricket club, Sundry. Mm -hmm. um, but after a few years, I basically found out that I was just not very good at cricket. So I just lost my love of playing cricket. I wasn't, wasn't good enough to get into the team, so I just stopped. Um, in terms of watching cricket, I got into it by watching the IPL, um, like, properly. Um, I think 2009 was the first one that I watched. But then that sort of fed into my love of watching test cricket and expanded out to ODIs as well and the longer format of the game. Um, so now I'm a, I'm a fan of all three main formats of the game um, equally, but I guess we can talk about which formats we prefer um, short, shortly. Uh, my favourite memory of the game was probably that same um, tour that Advaita was talking about, the 2014 tour. So I went to, um, my my mum's cousin is like a member of Lords. Um, he sits oh, like, sure. in the pavilion. And he That's basically us that. Classic brown connections. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, I was at the yeah. same game. Yeah. He, he got us tickets to um, the Lords test match, but also the um, India like tour of mid... Um, tour game against Middlesex prior to the series 
and we basically sat and were standing in the long room when like the India team was coming through so you, you saw all the India players like Dhoni, Ashwin etc, Kohli and that was a really good memory I got quite nice photographs of them mm. very blurry photographs now but that was quite a nice memory um, but yeah up to about 2016 I didn't actually have Sky so I always just used to follow the test matches like on listening to TMS and on Quick Info and stuff. So I don't really have many early memories of watching the game like at home unless I was lucky enough to go to someone else's house and watch it in the pub. So my memories of, well, that's why my memories of early cricket is like limited to the IPL because it was on free to air terrestrial TV on ITV4 and I was lucky enough to be able to watch that. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. I, I mean, my, my story is quite similar. Um, Lawrence, how did you get into the game? I know you're more of a recent arrival than Arjun. So, um, I'm, I, unlike these two, I'm kind of a latecomer to the to the cricket fan um, watching experience. Uh, I played a little bit as a kid because my parents were like, oh, you should try every sport. And growing up in England, it's like cricket is one of those. But, you know, making the under 14C team, just it's not quite the <laughs> level I... I, I really wanted, so um kind of didn't really play it much. Uh, but then living with two British Indian flatmates, including Advaith, uh, for for two years, really got me into the sport again because they'd watch it. They'd watch basically every England Test series. Um, so my first match or first uh, like sort of Test series that I properly watched was the England-India series in uh, 2018, which was, well, which was a fantastic series. I got to experience the legend that is Sam Curran. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is my hero. He is my everything. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I just really in, enjoyed the, the strategy part of cricket. And um, it's one of those sports that you don't have to watch because, obviously, test matches are, like, eight hours a day you don't have to watch the full eight hours you can listen to the commentary you can have it on the background yeah um yeah it's just a really and the i I have to say like because i watched the coverage on sky uh their commentators are like fantastic they really help you understand the game Mm -hmm. as like a relative newcomer and it's like it's just a really enjoyable like experience so yeah it's me Fair enough. No, I think um, I'm quite similar. So I got kind of forced into cricket as well from an earlier age, just because my dad is a massive fan. He played qu- club cricket to quite a decent level. Um, so he kind of maybe kind of put me in front of the TV and, and watched it. And my grandfather's quite a big India fan. Um, so, you know, he, he watches all the ODIs and tests and, and T20s when we can. Um, and that obviously then I fell into kind of the IPL, um, which obviously is at a really unfortunate time in the year because everyone's like, it's in like April time when you're supposed to be doing work. So I always struggle. Yeah, I tried to watch IPL in between doing schoolwork. I remember and stuff. So um, yeah, but they've got some good memories. Although my team, the Kings Eleven Punjab, never really do particularly well. Um, but yeah, I've got got some good memories. I think I think the best memory I've got is when I visited Lords with my dad to watch the short to watch the Shane Vaughan versus Tendulkar 200th anniversary of the MCC game, which although it was an actual Test match, it had loads of legends playing and. Um, Aaron Finch, I remember, I think scored a century just really quickly with an insane strike rate. Um, and it was just brilliant to watch all those legends play. Um, that's probably my best memory of, of watching a real real game. But but in terms of watching at home, 
Um, there have been some great IPL matches I've enjoyed. I remember watching uh, Mumbai Indians against Chennai Super Kings in a final like a few years ago where Kyron Pollard slapped a, a drive straight down the ground in the air and Dhoni had put a fielder directly behind the bowler and um, you know, he was caught and, and Chennai ended up winning. I remember just those kind of really good memories. And um, yeah, I think I, I share kind of Lawrence's um, memories about recent test series in England and uh, I think the best test series I've watched in terms of contesting was that might be that that India England series actually was very good. So one of the best series, but I think it, seeing India win in Australia um, a couple of years ago for the first time was 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 quite impressive. Even though Steve Smith was absent, I thought you know that was that was impressive. And it's always you know interesting to try and stay up all night watching an Australian test match. So yeah, that's kind of my my journey with cricket. Um, I guess we could just actually touch on this because Arjun mentioned it briefly, but kind of what are your preferred formats of the game? So, Adwaith, if you want to go first, I mean, out of the three formats, how do you rank them in terms of what you like watching? Um, do you think, do you like have another format you'd propose? Like, I sometimes thought of a 20-20-20-20 format where you have two innings of of, of um, 20 overs each, but no one else seems to really agree with me on that and being a good idea. So, what are your thoughts? Um, honestly, I think there's too many formats in cricket as it is. Like, I think if you're, like, an outside, like, person trying to, like, get into cricket, you can't help but think, like, you know, what the hell's going on here? There's three different ways to play this exact same sport. Like, no other sport, you know, really has that. Yeah, true. Um, and for me, that's why, like, I think there's some, like, sense of, dis- like, disengagement in cricket. People hear, like, oh, you know, it's going to go on for five days. And some people like, oh, it only goes on for 20 overs. It's like, you know, what's going on here? Uh, my favorite format of cricket, I would say, is just test cricket. I think if you're like a good cricket fan, it should be your favorite format. Yeah. And I, I, I don't really think that can be. I mean, you can you can argue otherwise, but I think if you have true appreciation for the sport and every aspect of it, um, your favorite format of cricket will be test cricket. Uh, and then after that, it will probably have to be T20 cricket. So me, yeah. I think it's just kind of a cop-out version of the other two. Yes, literally, um, I, I entirely agree. Actually, I think Arjun yeah. disagrees, which is interesting. But yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah, um, in terms of like whether there should be any new formats, I, I guess if you want to like increase engagement, but I don't think there should be another format at least at the international level. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I I personally am a massive skeptic of the hundred. I think it's a stupid idea. But if it gets more people engaged with the English game and then thus filters people to Test cricket, which is what I actually care about, then I can't really complain. Arjun, you're actually more of a fan of ODIs than Advaith and I are. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on the rankings of of the formats? Um, yeah, I agree with Advait in that I think that Test cricket is the ultimate format of the game. It's the, it's the main format, but I think it can be quite daunting for newcomers to cricket to maybe jump into that point. So therefore, I think that T20s are a good thing because you know it's it, it's more fun, it's more glitzy, it's more glamorous than Test cricket. But and that's personally how I got into cricket is by watching the IPL and shorter formats of the game. But obviously, there's a tendency for people to just you know think this is ideal and not want to delve further into Test cricket or you know like four-day cricket um but yeah i do prefer odis i don't know why but i just i think that i find international 2020 quite dull i like watching the domestic t20 leagues and all the various leagues that have cropped up around the world seemingly in every yeah. country now but i find watching international t20s very dull mm. um, you know when there's a international series of t20s are the, often the games that hold the less weight you know mm. you have like three three to five test matches three to five ODIs and maybe like one or two T20s uh, stick it on to the end. Um, and obviously the T20 World Cup is just in flux because the last edition was when? 2016. 
and now there isn't going to be one this year so it's just like it's not really as relevant as the as the actual cricket world cup yeah um, i mean I, the champions trophies are which i think is actually better than the odi ordinary world cup but yeah but yeah I guess the I guess the relationship between Champions Trophy and the World Cup is similar to that in football, of like the Euros to the World Cup. You, you, yeah. You think that you know a more concentrated form of teams it equals better quality. Um, but yeah, I mean the three formats is good. I'm skeptical about, about the hundred as well. I noticed two weeks ago, so that so in South Africa, as as part of their plans to slowly get back into cricket, they introduced a tro- a new tournament called the three team cricket. Mm. So I just want to read out because it's very interesting and I think very stupid. So basically, a match is played between three teams of eight players each. What the hell? 36 overs and two halves of 18 overs. One innings of 12 overs each per team. You bat and bowl to one opponent in each half of six I'm overs. I'm yawning already. Exactly. <laughs> After the seventh wicket, the yeah, last yeah, batter yeah. stands alone. Maximum of three overs for bowler to either opponent. And the team with the most runs win, wins. So you and bat is, twice against yeah. each team. Okay, so it's like a three-sided... Okay. What, what, in what way is that more exciting than... I have no idea. I think... Okay. I have no idea why it was made. It was just like a sort of one-off thing to sort of get South African cricket back. Had lots of all the main South African players. De Villiers describing it as a game-changer, but hopefully I, I hopefully that doesn't stick on because it's quite complicated. And I mean... Yeah. But the 100 is... I'm very sceptical about that. I don't see the point of it. There's I mean, nothing that... wrong with the T20 blast in England. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot wrong with it. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the format of it. Yeah. I don't see why that needed to be made, but obviously it's been delayed this year, so we'll see if they keep it for next year or if they change it, adapt it slightly. I mean, am I, I, I before before I bring Lawrence in, I just say like full disclosure. I am a very old school fan, so I'm the kind of person that would oppose that that did oppose numbers and and names on the back of test shirts. Like I'm I'm probably old school in my like cricket cricket tastes. So me seeing a 10 ball over in this 100 just kind of triggers me, to be honest. Um, and like, um, um, and, and yeah, for that reason, like I'm, I'm kind of um, sceptical of, of the 100 is just from a purist point of view. Um, Lawrence, um, you, so yeah, what, what are your favourite formats of the game? What do you think about Arjun's interesting proposal there? And as a more kind of recent comer to the game, um, how did 2020 relate to how you got into the game and how you got into test cricket? I'll be honest. I, w- I, I just stopped listening to Arjun after like the first yeah. set of rules that he mentioned. Yeah. That was fucking <laughs> dull. And speaking as of dull, as ODI... Three Sorry. Like, and, as soon as uh, Arjun mentioned three sides, I was like, I can't be bothered. Like, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, it just yeah. sounds stupid. Like, cricket... For some people, cricket is, like, confusing already. Like, why are you trying to add other levels to it? Like, it feels just, yeah, quite kind of a useless. But, yeah, I, ODI for me is the worst, is the worst, is the worst format of the three, in my opinion. Um, why? It, 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 it's a really useless halfway point between tests and T20, as I've said. It's like the... The, the format that nobody really wants like me personally when I watch it like I know that the middle 30 overs are going to be boring because um, teams are just going to dig in and, and get like a solid scoring rate well, like it's five runs the, and over just, just yeah, it's, it's only the first I don't know like seven or eight overs where the ball's doing a bit that it looks quite difficult for the batsman you can put them under pressure it's, it's more interesting um, 
and then the final like you know five six overs where the batsmen really have to sort of and it gets interesting because boundaries are scored but like that's just five overs of, of each side that you, yeah. you'd get for basically a whole match with a test match or the whole of a t20 match it just doesn't seem that useful to me like the match yesterday again i, I know uh like england versus Ireland isn't the most meant to be the most competitive matchup but like it was just dull like it's just not just not for me um, no, fair enough i mean one thing yeah. i'd say actually about that is that um in terms of ODIs, they didn't help themselves by trying to make it so easy for the batsmen in that they um, have this rule now where, I'm sure you guys know, for like they've had a preview years, where you have one ball at each side. So the ball at maximum will only ever be 25 overs old. Whereas back in the day, you had one ball for the whole innings. And that means that by the end of the innings, the ball was 50 overs old. It was soft. It was misshapen. And if you had skilled bowlers, you know, they could get some reverse swing going. And it was actually meant that, although it was harder to score, it was much more of a contest between bat and ball. And given, you know, the increased size of bats and power plays and all this stuff you have now, which favour the batting side just to increase run scoring, the fact that the ball was, you know, more misshapen, could reverse swing, meant that I, I thought it was actually more interesting back before they had the, the two separate balls. But but yeah, I mean, I think ODI cricket, I've got to say, is it, it seems like a halfway house and that, well, I don't really agree with Arjun on it. On it, kind of being. Hear, hear me out, though. Right, um, go on. If you if you're a spectator wanting to watch a good day's cricket, and you want to see a competitive game and, and maybe a result at the end of the day, then there's nothing better than going to see an ODI in term because you actually get a result at the end of the day. You get to see 100 over, well, up to 100 overs of cricket, and I guess for spectators who may not be so necessarily enthralled about the prospect of watching Test cricket, ODI cricket's entertaining. Like because you get a result and you know you get good cricket. Whereas for Test cricket, you know, sadly, um, audiences are dwindling. Well, when spectators are allowed, they're dwindling. It's, there doesn't seem to be as much actual interest. Is in that the... true? In, I think I can. I, I guess that's true around the world, but I don't think that's true in England. Okay. And like, I mean, you're, say, you're saying like, but I mean, in reality, no one watches five days of Test cricket. Like, who come in for maybe one or two days. And if you come in for one or two days, that's basically the same as coming in for one day of ODI cricket. And I think in ODI cricket, you don't get nearly as much of the skill. And you just get, I mean, really, in, in, when it comes down to ODI cricket, you watch the first 10, you watch the last 10. That's 20 overs. And then for the other time, other side, you watch the first and you watch the last 10. No one cares about the middle 30. So you basically just, the middle, the middle 30 is just essentially just dead time, basically, where no one's really enjoying the cricket and everyone's just going to, it's just a build-up to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, last. to be honest, if I'm yeah. watching an ODI in the middle 30 overs, I, I like go in and out often. But I would say that, um, Advit, I don't it's a question to you because you're obviously a cricket purist, kind of similar to how I am, I, I assume, and you like your test cricket as well. Um, yeah. It's undeniable that there, that there is um, a dwindling appreciation for the game outside of England, you know, in the West Indies, in India, yeah. um outside of kind of New Zealand, Australia and England, the test cricket numbers are dwindling. People don't really watch it as much as they used to. Like West Indies, ground used to be packed. People used to be climbing over the walls to get in. Like people used to you know, be sitting on buildings around the grounds and now test cricket, the grounds are completely empty even notwithstanding the pandemic in the West Indies. So one of the things we can do is the question to improve test cricket. Michael Vaughan has suggested changing it to four days, which I think is a bit sacrilegious. Um, we now have day-night tests where the ball, the pink ball, starts to zip around. We have, you know, 
the test championship to make more games and series relevant. What are your policy kind of proposals for increasing interest in test cricket again? Um, I would say, okay, so you need, you definitely need, day night test is a good move. And if you look at kind of day night test attendance, it's definitely obviously higher. I mean, it's yeah. kind of logically, you know, that's because of the fact that people can just come off to work and stuff. Yeah. But um, I would say the main way to make test cricket better and the main reason why test cricket in England is so much fun to watch. I mean, I support India, but I'll be honest, like, would I rather watch an England-Pakistan series or would I rather watch an India-Sri Lanka series? I would much rather always watch an England series um, because it just is more interesting to watch. And it just comes down to the fact that the pitches are better. Um, English pitches, mm. there's, there's always... like I believe that Test cricket is best enjoyed when both teams are scoring between 250 and 300. Yes. Um, when you start watching Test cricket in India, it's like... I know if India bat first, they're going to score 600. I know he's going to get a double 100. I know the openers are going to get 100. I know after they get 600, they're going to bowl the other side out cheaply for 200. And then the spinners are going to come on on day five. And the team will up at 150. India will win by an innings. It's almost like I know the script, right? But when I watch an England series, I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, part of that sure is down to the way England play. I mean, they're all over the place half the time. But it also just comes down to the fact that because of the nature of the pitches, the a pitch where, where there's like some uncertainty, you don't know what the ball is going to do. It inherently creates uncertainty and randomness in the game. Can I offer devil's have... advocate? Yeah, go on. So, so I mean, obviously, I actually personally agree with you. And I think I'd actually always rather have a pro bowling pitch than, a, than an easy batting pitch. Although run scoring is important, I'd much rather watch a side get bowled out for 200 and, you know, it'd be a close test that lasts maybe four or five, four days than, than like the first team get 400 and, and it may end up being a draw. But I think as a devil's advocate, a lot of English people, along the ECB and the I have been like, have been scolded by the ICC quite frequently for producing dead pitches. Trent Bridge is an example of a place that often gets very poor pitch ratings, yeah. especially in the Ashes series where England sometimes play negatively to try and help themselves win. They don't want to allow Australian bowlers to get any purchase at all. So they produce just absolute death pitches. Um, so is it the case that English pitches are attractive? Or is it just that England are so inconsistent that they always produce interesting results? It's a bit of both. England definitely are inconsistent. Um, and, you know, well, part of like this new English top order that's kind of somewhat more followed, it kind of saddens me because it's going to be less consistent. They're going to be more consistent now, inevitably. Yeah. But um, it, part of it is definitely the inconsistency. But then when you look at, like, you know, okay, there are a couple of dead English pitches, but by by the majority, I would still say that English pitches are fun to watch cricket on. I mean, it doesn't necessarily just have to be the fact that the pitch itself... When, when people say pitches are dead in England, most often they're referring to the fact that there isn't much bounce in the pitch and, like, the ball's kind of dying through. But... Fundamentally, because England is the way it is, and because of the natural kind of conditions that are present, you can get the ball to also swing more during the day. Um, there also tends to be like good seam movement. Um, ideally, I prefer pitches that you know have a bit of everything. But I would still say, on average, I would say either England or South Africa produce the most exciting test pitches to watch cricket on. And if, and if you look at South Africa, like. Um, attendance like you 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 always see like relatively decently filled yeah. stadiums yeah. Yeah. um so i think there's there's a reason for this country is being so popular um but then if you actually look at like india as, as i gave the example of the complete flat pitches 
Um, okay, we should also remember that there's a difference between the kind of countries that we're comparing. Comparing England, where you know people are relatively well off, like taking your afternoon off to watch the cricket is something that's very possible. In a country like India, where you know socioeconomically you are further behind, it's a lot harder to do that. I would say. Um, so I, I think that's also a factor that you need to consider. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll bring in Lawrence now, but um, I think, I guess I just kind of semi-disagree with the sociological point just because of the Indian stadiums for ODIs and T20s are packed. So that in those situations, you do see the crowds. So I guess it... Yeah, but they're, they're always you, packed for the evening games. They're never... Yeah, they're yeah, never yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I guess that's what you're saying about day-night tests. Um, yeah. Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence, feel free to, to come in. Yeah, just on the question of why Test cricket is kind of dying and T20 is really taking over, um, which is like a shame for the cricket peers. I think it just comes down to the fact that like it's much easier presentation-wise uh, on like TV to advertise T20s um, and make them more sort of accessible to their audiences. Because you you got when I'm watching the IPL, you got all this like oh Aldi. Audi sixes, there's like 500 sixes in like two matches or something like that, and it's just like it's much more in I guess accessible for audiences who don't necessarily understand. Uh, sounding like a snob here, but like maybe <laughs> like some of the finer points of the game that even I don't understand, but they don't. It's harder to in, in Test cricket appreciate I guess the strategy involved, whereas in T20 because um, you have such like. Uh, favorable batting pitches and and uh, a ball that doesn't really do much. It's just much more enjoyable to see Andre Russell smash the ball around the ground using his pure power, and and that kind of thing is like uh, Arjun was talking about how ODI is great because it produces result. Well, T20 produces a result like even quicker without that sort of mess of 30 overs. Um, and there's just massive hitting and like balls away crowd you know that that stuff is really enjoyable especially for like new new cricket fans um mm. uh, i think to make test cricket more attractive you, you you've got to make it more accessible like i talked about how good sky sports is at like um like uh, like uh explaining cricket concepts and like setting up battles between bowlers and bats like we, we kind of need more of that and more encouragement of uh of people to sort of appreciate how good test cricket is because we do we we all know here that like the things that make t20 enjoyable are completely different to what makes test cricket enjoyable even though it's the same game um so, yeah i mean it's quite it's a quite a difficult job to do it's it, it for me it comes down to accessibility yeah um arjun what do you have to add on the kind of future of, of test cricket and the kind of policies we can implement to to make it more attractive? Do you buy into the Michael Vaughan four-day stuff? What do you think um, about the test t- test championship, day-night tests? I want to offer a perhaps more optimistic viewpoint. So as was pointed out earlier, cricket's a rare sport where you have different formats of the game. You can argue about, say, rugby, you know, union, rugby league. But, uh, and, yeah, but the same players don't play in the... Yeah, exactly. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Um, and even for sports like tennis, obviously you have different... Um, um, sports but that's that's again a, a slight technicality but with cricket you have test cricket which is regarded as sacred everyone knows that it's the sort of core main version of the game even newcomers to the sport um become aware of the different versions of the game quite quite quickly i don't think that anything really will change drastically to test cricket i think administrators pundits and people within the game have been sort of worrying about the future of 
and the sustainability of test cricket and first class cricket since since like its inception I guess since the 60s at least um what I do worry about is a slight and gradual erosion of domestic cricket first class cricket rather than test matches I think what will happen is that more players will become sort of T20 mercenaries and specialists as as we see what we are seeing now there'll be slightly more four-day test matches which I think is a bad thing because you need the full um 90 day full 90 over five days in order for the test match to breathe his breathe. argument his argument though is that tests rarely last that long if they do have a result and the tests that usually go to the fifth day are draws is, is his argument oh. okay yeah um I'm not sure I'm not too sure about that perspective as in I'm not too sure whether to argue for that or against but I think that ultimately there'll be minimal changes as I said players will begin to specialize more um for the shorter format of the game you may get bigger sponsors on the shirts but I think that test cricket will largely remain unchanged I it doesn't really feel like it because of the sort of vast proliferation of um franchise t20 leagues but I think that teams are playing more test cricket than ever before it's just that because of, because of how many T20 competitions seem to be popping up everywhere, it seems that test cricket is being pushed on pushed away, where it's mm. not actually being reduced. And I think the measures of like the world um, are quite good in terms of contextualising every series more, making them matter more. Of course, I don't think that enough is being. I don't think that it's being publicised enough. As in, I don't think that people are aware of each series counting towards the Test Championship. But that's something that I guess will evolve as it goes on and as it. You know, develops further. I think we have the final that looks to be India v Australia uh, will be at Lords next year. I think. I think it's a panel 2023. Mm. Like I'm not sure, but I think that things like that are meant are important to contextualise the series, and I think that steps being made to sort of further the importance of that cricket. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, I think I agree. Um, I, I mean, I didn't think that the ICC could fuck up, to put it plainly, the Test Championship in the way that they have. In, but, but I think I should have expected it because of how, you know, the lack of transparency you see completely elsewhere, everyone, everywhere else in the game and the lack of transparency around, around rankings and tables everywhere else in the game. But does anyone here actually understand the point system in the Test Championship table? Like, I don't. And I, I mean, mean like, yeah, I, I, know, I sort like, of do, but I'd have to... I, I wouldn't be able to explain off the top of my head. What's the problem yeah. with a kind of basic football or rug, or ordinary sports table you normally get? Well, I don't know, like 100 points for a win, 50 points for a draw, naught for a loss. Like, what's wrong with that? And then and then what? And then the net run rate is just net run rate. I and guess then, the issue is because each series has a different amount of matches, so you have to sort of account for that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know, because like, if the ICC, for one th- if the whole point of the Test Championship was to lend gravity to games... And to make every game matter and to make people more interested in the game. Why would you make the scoring system so difficult? Now, like, the only way that people understand how important an individual game is, is if the pundits tell them it's important for X, Y, Z reason. In every other sport, in a Premier League football, you know how important a game is because you know a win is worth three points, a draw is worth one point. So you look at the table yourself and you use basic arithmetic to say, right, if they win this game, they'll get three points. So they'll jump above this other team. Like, in, t- in the test table, who can do that? Unless you're like, you literally spend hours teaching yourself the point system. Like, this is the kind of thing that I feel the ICC just don't help themselves. They always say, oh yeah, we're going to try and support test cricket. We're going to try. And-, and it just upsets me as someone who like is a massive kind of purist about the game. And I think test cricket's really important. It's something we should preserve. Um, it just upsets me when they just screw up 
um, Adveis, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I don't think we should. Okay, to be honest, I don't know how the point system works. Um, I'm sure there's a reason for it. I don't feel like it's right to just flag off the whole of the ICC being like you incompetent morons. You couldn't like, you know, score this challenge. Like cricket is like let's be honest, cricket is wait, a more wait, what did you just say about the ICC? <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They're not. Like I mean, come on. They can't like just logically. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Like I'm sure. Like I can't. I I I can't really comment on whether or not the way that the scoring is done right now is bad or correct because I don't know the logic behind it, right? Like, I can I can tell you I think the ranking system for, like, teams is incredibly stupid. Uh, I think they definitely messed that up. Um, it just, the ranking system just never made any sense to me for, like, who is the world's number one test side, for sure. But yeah. for the World Test Championship, I'm not going to say anything on that yet just because I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, but honestly, I think, I honestly think test cricket does have a good future. Um, I don't think the number of tests that are being played each year is like dropping like significantly. Oh, it's I not. think if anything, in the last few years, Test cricket. I, this is at least my personal experience. I've enjoyed watching Test cricket more recently. I think it has got more interesting. Um, maybe that's just part of my age. I'm watching more Test cricket now than I did before. But personally, I'm, I feel like a lot more games nowadays do have a result than are just draws. Um, just when I think about the most memorable games that at the top of my head. A lot of them have come in the last five years. Mm. You know, you think of games such as the, the Stokes game. Well, like even when Kusab Pereira, you know, won Sri Lanka against yes. South Africa in South That's Africa. That's incredible game. Like, there are so many, like, good games that are just happening recently. I'm, I do think that the level of engagement with Test cricket um, is increasing because I think to some extent, I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely a bit sick and tired of, like, I don't care anymore when there's a T20 series on or when there's an ODI series on because it has no stakes on whatsoever for anything um because as you guys mentioned i don't know how the table rankings work for like the number one test side the number two test side i just i don't get how that works at all that's, that's my point for the test yeah. championship as well like although we're going to have a final which is probably going to be india australia which i guess would be a good match to watch because they are the probably two best test sides yeah. right no one knows how like no one could tell me you know, you know what I said, I, I'm not going to repeat it, but essentially the, the same problem you have with the rankings, you have with the table in the Test Championship. But I guess my question to you would, would be, cricket has tried to um, expand uh, itself to other countries like Holland, Canada, and they've done so more successfully in Afghanistan. But they, with those other countries, through including them in the World Cup over the last 30 years, that has not really happened to the extent that they wanted it to. Is cricket doomed to being basically just a kind of Commonwealth game? Or does it have, or do you think it has a future to expand? Like, I mean, Lawrence, what are your thoughts on that and about our discussion so far about tests? Well, and I think if you look at sort of um, cricket at like a club level or grass, it's very difficult to find places where you don't have a great cricketing tradition. It's not a specific, it's not like an easy game to play, I guess. Um, because it's not like a football you can just grab anything, like a, even a tennis ball and just play with it. And the whole tradition that, you know, like, well, I'm sure I, well, I've talked about himself, like playing in his, did he say colonies? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> growing up in right. India, um, that, that's just playing word. like that. I don't think that tradition really exists. <laughs> Well, the the Indian word for 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 the neighbourhood is colony. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but yeah, that tradition of um, like just 
playing in your backyard cricket. Like that, I don't think that exists in places like America or China where you perhaps would want the sport to develop given like the audience, potential audience that you get there. It just doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, so it's like difficult to envisage a future where cricket becomes more of a global sport. No, yeah, fair enough. Um, Arjun, I'll just bring you on that finally before we actually move on to some more recent stuff and get out this mire of, of kind of policy. But what are your thoughts on the expansion of cricket around the world? I mean, I admire rugby a lot for this because obviously it's also a very a game that's traditionally only played in kind of Anglosphere um, and France. Um, but through um, the Olympics, inclusion of rugby sevens, which is just a very strong currency for people to invest in the game around the world, or through... Um, just just very good marketing around the world rugby has successfully become ingrained in actually a lot of continental europe as well do, do could cricket learn from that or do you think it's just stuck with being a, a, a commonwealth based sport i think the thing is that a lot of countries do play cricket but the way that the icc administers things means it's so hard for these countries to actually get any get any sort of qualification towards a world cup or to gain any sort of to get into any sort of matches with with the bigger teams so they, there's a lot of cricket being played in a lot of countries, but like if you look at the qualification process for the next World Cup in 2023, it's ridiculously hard for any small country to qualify. So you have you have the the, the ODI Super League, which actually started yesterday with this England Ireland Test series, um, ODI series. Again, no one really knows because it was just not publicised enough. But you basically have the 12 full members plus the Netherlands who who go into a qualification. India, Ryan Dos Carter, remember him? <laughs> yeah, classic. So you have you have um, the India who qualifies as a host, and you have the top seven of the Super League who qualify automatically. Then you have eight teams. Then you only have two more spots for like thirty teams to qualify, and these these two slots are basically it's done in such a way that teams who finish near the bottom of the Super League, say like Sri Lanka or Afghanistan, will should be able to qualify easily because they have to play. So the bottom five of the Super League go into a World Cup qualifier that's made yeah. of the top three of League Two, which is countries like Nepal, Scotland, UAE, etc. Yeah. Then a top two from a playoff, countries like Namibia. It's 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 basically incredibly convoluted, isn't it? And I think it's a bit pointless to explain it fully in this podcast because it would just take too much time and be too boring to listen. But it's just incredibly Wait, hard. The... Lawrence, yeah. What the? F- how do you know this? <laughs> that was oh, a full explanation. I'm... <laughs> well, well, I, mean, I was going to say, it, I was going to say just that. Sorry to interrupt you. I, mean, I was just going to say that is that just also because of the fact that um, those countries actually just aren't very good, and that it's in the ICC's interest to not have uh, too many dead matches in a World Cup where people are watching. So sure. they don't want to. They don't want to have no Nepal in, in a World Cup if they're just going to get absolutely smashed every game. Like I remember Canada being, I think, a 2011 World Cup or something. And like they, they just—I mean, whatever. Like, how well do you think it went for them? But like, how how are these countries going to improve if they don't get a chance to play the big well, That's boys? the point. That's the point. Yeah. So, I think that the problem is that it the ICC limit limit the um, potential for these countries to improve by by like reducing reducing the number of spots available to them in in big competitions. So the World Cup, you have basically eight the top eight the top seven countries of the Super League plus India. Now we we can all guess and pretty much predict the, what these who these countries will be, and then you have the top two from World Cup qualifier. Well, these are just going to be the bottom two of the Super League. It, they'll just be like the teams that we know are decent and good anyway. So like Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, these sort of countries. They'll just qualify. Like it'll be so. It'll, it's it's 
the future of any sort of mainstream cricket isn't going to be very bright because you're just going to have the same teams playing each other no, over and over again. My, my, I know, I've got sad. people I know who are like middle-aged and they, they've stopped watching international cricket for that reason just because it's the same teams and it gets boring. But yeah, um, no thanks. That was all a really good discussion, guys. Let's just move on then um, to the like series. A, like Sorry, yeah, go on. Uh, no, go on, Adverse. Yeah, yeah briefly. Like, like, honestly, like, I, I think a big problem with why like the, the smaller countries just don't really get better is because the, the funding that's provided to them is like absolutely like terrible like they get like literally no money yeah i mean let's do it like i mean part of it is definitely that but it's it, they, they need to find some better way of distributing their funding because like i remember when i played like at least for hong kong for a little bit i mean it's like the quality of the grounds and stuff. Like we played in the middle of like an abandoned airport where the only toilet was like 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 a makeshift one and it hadn't been clean in like three years and it just stank. Um and then you and then like I remember that was there was a game there that we were hosting, like playing China. And then it was like it, this really isn't like, you know, the actual quality that you should have for any kind of cricket. Like there should be enough funding that you know the grounds at least should be of a of a somewhat like decent quality, and I, I think that is a large reason why a lot of people get like dissuaded from yeah. playing the game in a lot of like smaller countries. Because honestly, like when I played there, like there were a lot of very like talented people. Like there was one person you probably heard of him. It's called Mark Chapman, mm. right? And Mark Chapman used to play for Hong Kong Cricket Club, mm. and then he left, and then he went and now he plays for New Zealand, right? Uh, and then there are just many examples of like really talented cricketers like these who I know have like gone on to play for Middlesex and uh, who used to start it off in Hong Kong. But the problem is that there isn't enough money in the game. So if you grow up and if you um, live in Hong Kong, right, then you are in all likelihood, you are probably someone who's an expat. You know, you yeah. probably have fairly high career ambitions. You need enough of a monetary incentive to get you to actually play the game in the first place. I mean, and if there is my, my enough issue money, would be, yeah, obviously, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I obviously agree, and I defer to your experience in, in Hong Kong. Um, but then I, I think it's just, I don't know how realistic it is to, for, for that even for any policies to even be implemented which improve that, just because the, the ICC a few years ago they they further entrenched their inequality by prioritising ECB, Cricket Australia, and the BCCI by which for those who don't know is the indian cricket board and at the expense of even medium-sized ones like west indies new zealand etc so i mean like with the current funding model and with the endemic corruption of the bcci which let's not be let's not let's not even like lie about it like that's what exists um i don't see much much solution um but yeah i mean thank you for that contribution because it's an important point Um, yeah yeah um might change all the the way that the pay, the pay structure in cricket itself is um, reformed. And let's be honest, like they have no incentive to reform it either. Yeah. And to some extent, can you? I can't even really blame them. I mean, India do bring in like ninety five percent of like the revenue that the ITC get, um, just because of the amount, the sheer number of like TV watching that happens because of India. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand why they feel like they should be prioritized, but at the same time, it is unfair, obviously, for, like the smaller nation. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that's all, all fair. Um, let's move on then, boys, to the England-West Indies series that just concluded. There were three tests. West Indies won the first one. 
England managed to come back and win the last two. So it ended up being quite a good series. Uh, ben Stokes, captaincy, uh, turned out okay. Stuart Broad wasn't picked for the first game. And he made he made sure everyone knew that. And um, he made his thoughts on that quite clear. But he was vindicated through his performances in the last couple of tests and now has joined the 500 wickets club. Um, Lawrence, what did you make of this series? Um, I thought it was a very good series overall. Uh, I think any cricket after such a long break would have been like uh, enjoyable. Um, but I thought that all three of the matches were incredibly competitive. And we saw some, some great cricket despite the lack of, uh, lack of crowds. Um, um, but I, I did really enjoy it. And as you said, Broad stands out. In the in the final two matches, he, he got an average of like ten, um, yeah, taking so many wickets and taking crucial wickets and um, I, I guess that now the as I've said earlier, like the England top order looks a little bit more stable now. Um, England will look with positivity uh, towards the their test next week against Pakistan. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Arjun, what were your thoughts on the series? As Lawrence touched on there, Dom Sibley and Rory Burns look like a decent opening partnership. England still have middle order issues, and I'm sure that you can elaborate for us on where Joe Root comes in the team and, and certainly his regression from where he was perceived to be maybe four or five years ago versus where he actually is now. Um, and yeah, overall, what did you make of the series? Yeah, I thought it was a very enjoyable series. I um, thought West Indies were a credit to the nation in terms of being out, you know, coming over here and playing. It was really good to see that. Really good to see competitive cricket again. Um, my main takeaway was that we finally have a, a, an opening partnership that I can trust and don't get worried about. That can form partnerships. Sibley and Burns both look really solid. Burns, you know, performed well in a, um, last summer and has carried on that form here. And Sibley's come into his own since doing well in South Africa uh, over the winter. Um, yeah, the middle order is still a bit concerning. Crawley has looked good at times, but has failed otherwise. Denley obviously isn't the solution and, you know, should be dropped immediately. Um, and then Pope, Pope's, Pope looks to be good. I think that, yeah, I think um, you, you'd like to elaborate more about Joe Root and how his form is regressed, but he seems to have a real issue with um, converting, obviously, his 50s to 100s, as we know. He did a very good job in the final test match with, um, with Stokes and they're trying to accelerate partnership he got like I think 60 odd off about 40 balls and did quite well and like we mustn't underestimate how good he is at the like, ODI batting but he just you know really needs to knuckle down I don't know whether it's an issue of mental concentration but yeah he, he has a real bad form recently in the last couple of years of converting 50s to 100s and and you know that's what we that's sometimes what accelerates the collapse, collapse of England is that the lack of the central uh, lack of stability in the middle order. Can I can I just come in briefly? So yeah, I mean, um, kind of one thing I wanted to touch on was because it was something that you said to me quite often is that um, obviously Joe Root was regarded in the same class as Kane Williamson, um, A.B. de Villiers, Virat Kohli, Steve Smith, maybe four years ago. And obviously it's quite clear that he's not in that class anymore. Like he's regressed substantially. Um, Graham Swan said something very interesting before Root was made captain. He said that Root is England's best player. And knowing England, what they'll do is make Root their captain when that would be a massive mistake 
because your captain shouldn't be your best player necessarily. You should be, you know, the best kind of figure. And he yeah. said, like, you know, Ben Stokes should be made captain. I don't know. And I don't he know. said, and, and he said that Ben Stokes should be made captain, and that it would be a massive mistake to make Joe Root captain. Do you think that Graham Swan has been vindicated by? Because he even said it would ruin Root's batting performances. Do you think he's been vindicated? I also they? think. Yeah. Sorry, no, Arjun, do you think he's been vindicated? Um, just quickly, yeah, I think that Root has done really well in the one-day team because of the fact that he doesn't have the shackles of a captaincy on him. We have we have Morgan, who's an excellent captain. He's obviously not the best player in the team, but he's an excellent leader of men. And I think that that's what the test team's lacking. Root seems to, you know, he's, he's a decent captain, but he's not the best captain. I think that that's hindering him slightly. Uh, Stokes, obviously, is quite an inexperienced captaincy, um, you know, I don't think that there's any other real candidate other than Stokes to take over from Root as the captain. Um, obviously, Anderson and Broad have experience, but they they don't captain their their domestic sides. So I don't know, you know, who else can can take the captaincy. Burns is a sorry mm-hmm. captain, but would England really? Well, well, specifically, would Ed Smith, um, the selector, think give you know want to give the captaincy to Burns who has such relative inexperience? No, fair enough. Um, Advaith, I know that you want to c- come in on this. Um, Graham Swan's opinions were quite strong. Some would say that um, he predicted the future and he's been vindicated. What are your thoughts on Root, his captaincy, and, and the way he's batted over the last couple of years? I mean, I would say like that's just not true. Like There are just so many good examples of the best player in the team being captain. Viv Richards was a captain at one point. Um, then, like, Ponting was captain of his team. Like, there have been many examples of great leaders who were the best players in their team. Yeah, Cody. Yeah, but, I mean, but, I mean, what he said is that not as, that... As not a, that but what he said was, yeah, but, I mean, what he said was not that... He didn't say that, that the best player couldn't be captain, but he said in this case for England, it would be the wrong thing to do because of the way Joe Root is. Like, how do you think... What do you think about that? You... No, look, I mean, Joe Root... Look, I, I fundamentally think that Joe Root is just, just not that great a player. I don't think it's to do with the burdening him, the captaincy burdens him particularly. I just don't think, or I don't rate him as a particularly great batsman. Wow, okay. Uh, maybe, that's, maybe, that, maybe that's just my opinion, but I just I, I fundamentally don't. Um, I think, honestly, he's done a pretty good job as, as, as captain of England. I really think, uh, in terms of his strategy, he's really not that bad. Um, and I think England have a fairly good captain... In route. I think giving the captaincy to Stokes, on, on the one hand, I would like to obviously think that Stokes can do everything because so far in his career, he's shown an indication that, you know, he has that ability. But I can't help but feel like, you know, when I, when when he's running after his own boat, like bowling down to like long off and like collecting the ball and then he's batting and throwing up 170. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot like on his head on top of, you know, Pulling, batting, then captaincy as well, fielding a slip. Uh, I, the biggest mistake would be to do what England always do, which is make their all-rounder a captain, and then they never turn out to be successful because of the sheer amount of pressure. They tried it with Flintoff, they tried it with both, and neither were great captains. Um, I, I don't think an all-rounder, it's very rare that an all-rounder is actually a very good leader. I mean, Capital Davis is like the, maybe the exception, um, but it's very, very rare that you have an alternate leader. I think Root's done a pretty good job. I think he's a good batsman. I just don't think he was, he was ever in the same caliber of, you know, your Smith, Curley, or Williamson. Would you put him in the top 10 in the world? Yeah, he is definitely in the, in, yeah, he's definitely in the top 10 batsman in the world, I would say that. But do I think he was ever 
he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a good batsman, and like I think at the end of his career he'll go down as you know maybe someone who could fit in just about the all time England eleven. But do I think when he was averaging like in his mid fifties that was like consistently like possible? No, I think that was definitely just a kind of hot peak in his form, and he may return to it. But I personally don't think the captaincy is being too much of a burden on him. No, okay, fair enough. I think that's an interesting perspective. Um, Advaith, just briefly before we bring uh, Lawrence in, what did you make of the series? Uh, I thought the series was a pretty interesting series. I mean, I'll be honest, I just wanted to see Raheem Cornwall on a pitch. For the series. <laughs> when it finally happened in the third series, it was like, I pretty much didn't watch that test till he batted, until he bowled. Um, but I, I think it was a pretty good series. Um, the first test was very good. The second test was very good. The third test, you could just tell the West Indies were just a bit tired of everything at that point. Um, and I can't really blame them either. They've been in the country for so long. Um, and, you know, for, for, for a side that's not particularly the most talented and, you know, doesn't have the, the, the most naturally gifted team in the world, um, they really do do their best, I think. Um, yeah, just the England, we talked about England's batting, but England will also be encouraged about the depth in their uh, uh, seam, uh, seeming attack. Mm. Um, Didn't even they, play Ollie Stone, for example. And he's yeah, quite good. they rotated. Um, they obviously rotated for the through the first two tests. Um, but when you have, but the, you know, when you have bowlers who are all playing well, like Wood, Archer, Broad, Anderson, like um, obviously Wokes and even Curran. Um, that that it's a good headache to have if you're the England selector um, as to as to who to play. Um, I think if you're looking towards the next Ashes, as they probably are doing, yeah. um, as their sort of project, then maybe Anderson doesn't quite fit into that long-term plan. But I think you know, Ollie, even Ollie I made, Stone and Mark Wood look important for that, just because of their pace ability. Even I made the mistake of thinking that Broad and Anderson were like, because they're all always spoken of in the same breath. But like Broad is like four years younger than Anderson, and, and well, according to him, he still has the as the fire and desire and, and the personal like fitness, like he take takes care of his body. Um, that he, I could definitely see him like given his performances recently over the past two years, uh, stepping it up and then making the next Asher squad. Anderson maybe not so much. He's had injury problems, um, but he still remains like a really consistent bowler. Um, but yeah. There's a lot of depth that England, the England should be very um, pleased about. Um, Arjun, how do you see um, uh, how do you see um, the series shaping up against Pakistan to come? Um, yeah, that'll be an interesting one because obviously Pakistan have been in the country for a while, playing like tour, um, like touring matches against um, county teams on like you know second elevens. I think that it's a three-test series, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All matches at Old Trafford. Um, hmm. I think it should be a, quite an evenly contested game. Certainly better than. Um, I think that Pakistan will do better than West Indies. I, I don't think England have managed a home victory, a uh, series victory against Pakistan in ten years. Um, obviously, Pakistan have have only really like two two times since then. I think. Or mm. but, but um, I think it'll be quite an even contest. I think that, yeah, Pakistan will prove a sterner test than the West Indies, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, should be quite good. Um, it should be good. Fair enough. Uh, Advice your thoughts on um, the England-Pakistan series? Uh, honestly, I think they're going to bat to Pakistan. I don't think they have a shot. Um, just because I think 
England have now played three tests. Pakistan haven't played one in God knows how long. Um, England are just England are much better, like more geared side right now. Um, they have a pace attack that's they're all in form. They have a batting lineup that have proved that they're certainly more stable. The Pakistani bowling attack doesn't even look that promising to me. Besides Nazim Shah, I don't really see you know who's particularly you know going to cause him any any real nightmares or real headaches. Maybe Sahel Khan. But Sahel even, Khan is Sahel Khan is very good actually. I think. Yeah, but then I remember like when he played the last Test series against England. I mean, the guy couldn't even get through a day of Test cricket. He was literally limping in towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that they haven't played Test cricket for like what three, four months. I really doubt his fitness and the, the general level of the fitness of the Pakistan team is anywhere near where it needs to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly don't think that they stand much for sure. Fair enough. Um, Lawrence, your thoughts on the Pakistan series before we finish? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know much about the Pakistani team. I'd only watch them in the context of, of England. Um, but, you know, if England, England looked to be in, in relatively decent form... Um, and I don't know many of the Pakistani players. So, you know, looks good for England. <laughs> Fair enough, that, from that perspective, I guess. But yeah, anyway, thanks, guys. Um, the first half an hour was quite a detailed uh, policy discussion of cricket, which is not what I intended, but it's always enjoyable to go off on those kind of tangents, especially when it actually is something that's quite topical, um, whether it's the future of Test cricket or how to get more newcomers attracted to the game. I'm sure in future pods we'll also touch on on that kind of stuff. Um, in the next pod, we'll probably do something like talking about the Pakistan series. I'll probably do one after the Pakistan series is finished. Um, so we'll do a review. Uh, we'll be looking forward to some of the other games because I'm sure more cricket will be getting underway. There's the IPL um, to come in the UAE, which I think we'll do a detailed preview of because all of us um, enjoy watching that. And all of us, I think, support different teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of the cricket series from the symposium. Please do follow us on Spotify and Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, it's bye from me, uh, Arjun. Bye, Lawrence. Bye, <laughs> Abhish. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Cheers. All right, thanks, guys. Um, speak to you next time on the symposium. Cheers. The symposium with Ash Orlack.